everybody. Welcome back to the Drink and Learn podcast. I'm drinks historian Elizabeth Pierce. And I'm bartender Abigail Gallo. And we're coming to you once again from the old number 77 hotel in the Warehouse Arts District of New Orleans, Louisiana, home of my home bar, Compare Le Pen, and James Beard award-winning chef, Nina Compton. When did you get a southern accent? A southern accent. James Beard award-winning chef, Nina Compton. I don't know. Maybe it's a couple <laughs> drinks I had before we started. Yeah. That's funny, because usually my accent turns Irish when I get a little drunk. Usually it gets a little Irish. No, now you're thinking about it. Oh, yeah, because I'm thinking about purpose. it. Yeah. No. Um, no, I'm really glad. Maybe you've been living here just long enough. Just long enough to become a little southern. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so congratulations Thank you uh, very much. to uh, the entire team mm-hmm. uh, that made that happen, because yes, everybody indeed. makes it happen. Yes, that's very true. You can't, well, you can be a chef with no one, but it's easier if you have people. Yes, indeed. Okay, so uh, today we're going to keep plowing through our classic drinks and uh, for, for all of those who wish that they knew more about drinking and how to drink. Um, and today we're going to talk about the daiquiri. The daiquiri. So uh, before we get into the um, particulars, I didn't know that... Da- so daiquiri is a place mm-hmm. in Cuba. It's a mining town, isn't it? And originally it was. It comes from a Taino word. Do you all know what Taino is? Is it the native people of Cuba? Who were all decimated when the white people showed up. What? <laughs> I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah. So um, many, many years ago, I met a woman who was working at uh, a shop on Decatur Street, and her name was Taina. And I turned to her and I said, were you named for the native people of the Caribbean who were um, killed off by, you know, either violence or disease when the Europeans showed up? And there was a long beat of silence, and she said, yeah, how (laughs) did you know that? And then my friend just turned to her and he said, she knows stuff. (laughs) So anyway, it's a beautiful name. If anybody's looking for a baby name, unusual. Taina. Taina, to honor the the folks who were there first. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what daiquiri means in Taina because um, the internet didn't go that deep. But there's a little fun fact for you next time you order a daiquiri that I bet even your bartender who might know a whole lot of stuff. Doesn't know that. Yeah, pull that one out. Yeah. That they'll be impressed. Maybe maybe they'll uh, top you off or something, right? (laughs) Mm. So the daiquiri uh, is composed of, Abigail? Rum, lime, and sugar. And all of those ingredients really matter. They do. Um, Tell us a little bit, if you will, about um, the rum that goes into it. Because there's a lot, like that's a big part. There's a big part, but there's also a lot of flexibility. I always think that traditionally it is uh, white rum. Uh, And a white rum doesn't necessarily mean it's not aged. Um, There are three-year-old aged rums that have been charcoal filtered to take the color out that are still white, but they definitely have that mellowness from being aged in wood. Um, But you, uh, every every people in South America, in the Caribbean, they do some combination of of rum or some sugarcane-based product with sugar 
and with lime to make a drink. Um, it's just called a daiquiri kind of in the Caribbean. Yeah, so we were talking about this before we started recording, that um, just like the Inuits, which is what um, we've been saying Eskimo for a really long time, but Inuit I think is the appropriate term, mm-hmm. um, ha- allegedly have multiple dozens of words for snow. Um, there are many, many words for this combination of sugarcane, liquor, um, lime, and sugar, right, mm-hmm. uh, that float around in the Caribbean and, and, Central, Central, and Central and South, South America. America. Yeah. And so we have a daiquiri, which is um, white rum, lime, and sugar, and w- might originally be Cuban rum or Cuban-style rum or Spanish-style rum. Um, And then let's let's go through some others. Martinique, they have what's called a tea punch. Tea punch being showed for uh, petite, petite punch. And it's not really a punch at all, as you think of when you think of punch being like all this fruit and tea and whatever you think, however you think of punch, it's actually... Uh, almost closer to an old-fashioned with no bitters. It's a little cane syrup, um, rum agricole, which is made from fresh-pressed sugar cane, and a little squeeze of lime. And they usually serve it like a setup style. They just set you up with a little sugar, a bottle of rum, and some lime, and you kind of mix it yourself to your own liking. And in fact, they usually like it with very little ice, so it's kind of warm. Um, there's a podcast that I, Lee and I listen to. Oh, sorry, Lee's my husband. Uh, Lee, Lee and I listen to, and um, it's a movie podcast, but one of the guys, is a, um, he owns a bar. And he said, he, whenever he sees movies where there's somebody at the bar, and they're, you know, like, sad or angry, and they're like, barkeep, barkeep. Leave the bottle. And he says, I always look at that and think, like, no, that's, that's not how it works. I mean, what are we going to charge you? Well, and that's so, how they used to do it in the Old West. They'd right, leave the bottle right, and they would yeah. just mark off how yeah. much you drank from the bottle. They'd have little marks on the bottle. So. Yeah. Well, that's, that's old school. But yeah, it is kind of hard when you think about it now. But, like, you know, it's like there's a, a New Orleans setup. Where if I there's certain bars I can go to in New Orleans mm-hmm. where I can get um, you know give me a bottle of of rum and they'll give me like a little kind of fifth of of rum and they'll say what mixer do you want with it and maybe I just want some like lemonade or lime juice or yeah I've also seen it not even a, a whole fifth just a um, like a a pint you know you can get your I little guess that's what it is yeah a fifth is a lot fifth is <laughs> I mean unless you have a party they probably have a fifth right <laughs> I don't. I'm so bad with numbers. I don't even know what a fifth is. Yeah, it's probably like a little flask. Right? 20%. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. 20% of a liter. 20%. So a fifth is 20%, is 20% of something. Probably a liter. So that's 200 milliliters. So I'm right. What's 200 milliliters? A fifth. Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> okay, wait. Let's get back. Okay, so, back on track. Daiquiri. Daiquiris. Tea punch. Tea punch. Tea punch. And a caparinha. Which is? Uh, Caparina is the official drink of Brazil. It uses cachaça, which is another sugarcane rum. It's a rum made from fresh-pressed sugarcane, as opposed to molasses, which is a byproduct of sugar production. And they, what they do is they will put the sugar on top of lime and kind of muddle it together. So the um, um, kind of abrasive quality of the sugar against the lime peel releases all the aromatics from the skin and a little bit of bitterness from the pith, and you get the juice, and you shake it all up and serve it on the rocks. 
and that is a caponina. So it's basically a daiquiri on the rocks, but with really pulpy and sugary. Like I and always think of a caponina has a lot more texture to it. Right, and I also imagine that a lot of the um, that the rind is is kind of uh, ending up in your drink as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be really good. Uh, so um, um, I mentioned this about the Inuit Eskimo many words for this drink for for snow snow um because in getting ready to 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 record this episode um i was poking around to see what everybody had to say about the history of the daiquiri and and i've actually been to um a talk um that was put on by i can't even remember the brand yeah and they passed out uh photocopies of this handwritten recipe by this guy who um, was uh, working in Daiquiri, an American, and he he wrote this recipe down. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna say absolutely. This guy wrote a recipe down, which many of us have done in an attempt to say, "Oh, it's a pretty good drink." But um, he certainly didn't invent it, though. Yeah. You'd that is to, that is the thing that um, you'd have to be a dummy not to invent it. Invent it in the words of David Wondrich. right? Because you you have a place that has all of these ingredients, and they all really go together. Even and, on navy ships, the rations of rum with sugar with lime—that's a daiquiri, right? Grog is a. Uh, uh, or, or the, or an early daiquiri. Yes. Although um, I learned recently that um, they actually used more, way more lemons. They switched to lemons um, because it was better prevent pre- because of whatever percentage of vitamin C. Uh, lemons prevent scurvy much better than limes. So even though but the British say was lemony, I know no. Limeys. There was a time they used limes. <laughs> And then everybody called them limeys, and it stuck. Even though they, uh, they to should lemons. be lemmy, they should be lemmies, lemmies, lemmies. Uh, <laughs> Next time I meet a British person, I'm going to be like, you know, people should really call you lemmies. But then, uh, but I'm bringing this up because if anyone out there is planning a sea voyage, um, and you plan on preventing scurvy, uh, obviously the most efficient thing to do is to buy a lot of vitamin C tablets uh, because those will probably keep better. But why do we need to prevent scurvy now? Well, no, I mean, in you case just eat a salad. In, no, if you're <laughs> on a sea voyage, you don't have the vegetables and stuff. You're out on the sea. I'm sure you do if you're on a cruise. There's well, plenty no, of vegetables. Okay, I said sea voyage, not cruise. <laughs> but yeah, actually, if you're on a cruise, you should definitely uh, hit the salad bar and. Drink some daiquiri while you're at it. <laughs> right. We're going to circle back to that. So, okay. No one can say who invented the daiquiri mainly because it has already been, it has been with us mm-hmm. in some form or another since rum was being made initially in the Caribbean and then moves to Central and South America. And so rum is there. Rum is made from molasses, which is a byproduct of sugarcane making. So you've already got the sugar. Mm-hmm. So there's two. And then, um, unfortunately, the presence of limes on sugar plantations, uh, while it sounds very, like, charming that you could just, like, walk along and p- pick a lime and make a drink, in fact, they were often plant the lime trees were planted ringing the plantation because 
um, citrus has lots of thorns or a lot of citrus too. And so it was, it acted as a kind of uh, natural barbed wire to prevent slaves running away into, you know, the mountains or, you know, escaping from this plantation. So it's, it's a sad part of the daiquiri story or the lime rum sugar story. Well, I mean, you can't talk about rum without talking about slavery. This is very, this is, I mean, <laughs> there's a song about it in 1776. Uh, rum is absolutely dependent on slave labor for much of its history. And, um, and in fact, to this day, um, sugarcane workers are still getting sick, being underpaid. Um, it's very hard work, and um, it, is, um, it does not pay very high wages. And there's still a lot of issues involving social justice and the making of this product. Except in Martinique. This is a very interesting idea, but Martinique is actually still part of France. It is a colony. Therefore, it is subject to EU rules of wages. So the sugarcane workers on the island of Martinique are the highest paid workers in the Caribbean. So if you want to be the most socially consciousness with your rum buying, I suggest purchasing a bottle from Martinique or Guadeloupe both of which are still technically part of France. And Martinique rum's really good. Oh, it's delicious. Rum agricole. Um, Can you explain uh, briefly what rum agricole is? Rum agricole um, is a kind of rum where they use fresh-pressed sugarcane instead of molasses to distill. Um, A lot of times they will... The production is so close, the stills are so close to the sugarcane fields that um, when they're pressing the sugarcane, it already has a natural yeast in it, and that is what jump starts the fermentation process. Um, sometimes they, if they're using juice that even is a couple hours old, they do have to add yeast to jumpstart it. Um, but the resulting product is very clean and grassy, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes the product raw is kind of more has seems like it has more in common with tequila than it does regular rum molasses based rum mostly because it's just funky and green yeah. and it's gorgeous and you know every island produces different rum speaking of funk like jamaican rum is famous for being like bananas and funk and um, just really different. Um, Cuban rum is famous for having what they call aguardente, which they actually blend in a little bit of that sugarcane rum to molasses rum. Um, Mexican, there's some Mexican rum that is doing a 50-50 blend of agricole and rum, and they're both using different stills. Some use a blend of pot still versus column still. So rums are very unique, and you could find your own. Um, spiced rum is usually... Um, they used vanilla, clove, cinnamon, um, all sorts of different spices. The more natural, the better, if you can find it. Um, I know the Chairman's Reserve on um, St. Lucia uses all natural, and they're spiced. And there's something about it that is like, it smells like bubblegum, that spice. Mm-hmm. So whenever we make daiquiris with that spice rum with Chairman's Reserve, we call them bubblegum daiquiris because they're just like <laughs> so delicious. I have this dream of doing like, a bubblegum daiquiri on the menu and then a, a pinning to the side of the glass Bazooka Joe comics. I just got to stockpile a whole bunch of Bazooka Joes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, disgustingly, you could sprinkle some Big League Chew on top. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> Here's your garnish. So to get, I'm, gonna, I'm steering us back to the daiquiri because the rum is a 
I mean, because the category of rum is enormous, but I, I will say that uh, a daiquiri is a very friendly drink. Yes. And um, it's very approachable. And if you're trying to learn about rums, um, maybe you've had um, a, a bad collegiate experience uh, involving a trash can. A very large trash can to which multiple things have been added, many of them rum and some of them red. And you think you don't like rum because this is something I hear I hear occasionally. Or they or think it's like, too, oh, sweet. too sweet. Too sweet. That um, a daiquiri can, can vary in its sweetness. Certainly you can say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want it particularly sweet. But it is it is an interesting way to expand your palate of rums by having, say, three daiquiris lined up from three really different rums even mm-hmm. though originally I, I know that it should have you know a, the a re, quote, quote unquote original daiquiri should have a Cuban style rum white rum you know it's fairly light but it'd be I think it'd be very interesting to try um, like a rum agricole a you know kind of traditional Cuban and then, I don't know, like a Demerara or Jamaica or like something so that you're beginning to kind of sample what the Caribbean, Central and South America, even Mexico or whatever, has to offer in this like rum, sugar, lime story. Or, and this please only do this if your bartender isn't very busy, say, I want to try a daiquiri, a tea punch, and a caparina. Wouldn't that be fun? That is really, to- really great. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Right now, we're doing a tea centennial punch. It's a play on tea punch that we're doing to celebrate the tricentennial here in New Orleans. And we're actually doing it with three different kinds of agricole. Um, agricole from Louisiana, agricole from Mexico, and agricole from Martinique. So this celebrates our French, Latin, and American influences. And with each agricole, we have sugar to go with it. So we have the Mexican sugar with the Mexican rum, um, cane mm. syrup from Martinique with the Martinique rum and Louisiana cane sugar for the Louisiana agricole. Oh. So you can do that uh, right now and um, and get it um, here at Compare Le Pen. I also, when bartenders nerd out, the idea of um, a daiquiri, I, we've blind tasted different daiquiris and the best one I did was three daiquiris were put in front of us and we were like oh I think this one's using a Jamaican rum and I think this one's maybe using a Cuban rum and this one I think is using old lime juice you know we were trying to figure out what the bartender had done differently and he ended up revealing that the difference was one one used they changed all he did was change the specs they all had two ounces of rum one had three-quarter lime, three-quarter simple syrup. One had one-ounce lime, three-quarter simple syrup. And one had one-ounce lime, one-ounce simple syrup. Like, oh. he changed it by a quarter of an ounce, and it made it dramatically different. And that's the thing with the three-ingredient cocktail, is that little change of proportion is going to make a big difference. So when you're making this at home, it's really easy to just change it by a quarter of an ounce to make it more to your taste. So invite friends over... Because taste tests are best done with lots of people. Because then you can have lots and lots of lots of <laughs> lots and lots of daiquiris, lots of daiquiris, and, and lots of opinions about what you like. And yeah, you, you may find. I mean, that's what my my boss over at Fort Defiance did. He did that at a. We did that same ex- experiment at a staff meeting, and from that we decided what our house specs were going to be. Right, and those are still the house specs I use today, which is three quarters simple syrup, one ounce lime, and two ounces of rum. And if you want to be a good guest at 
at a bar. Mm-hmm. I actually think that it is grand if you can go come in and know what kind of X drink you like. You know, if you if you drink enough daiquiri, let's just say daiquiris because we're talking about that, then over time you will know, oh, you know, I, I like it a little sweeter. And you can tell your bartender, you know, add a, another quarter ounce, you know, or you can ask, you could ask them, is it all right to ask? Like, what's your, no, I, not really. Or is it better to just give you the information and say. I'd say try it first. And okay. See if, try their house specs and see if you like it. And if okay. you want to order another one and say, could I have mine with like a little less sugar or a little more sugar? Well, if you want a little more sugar, fine. can they just like add they a little more They could just sugar. add a little more sugar. Yes. Yeah, so right. That's and easy. stir it in. Yeah. That's easy. I once had a guy who came, he came with a business card that had like make my daiquiri this way and only this way and he said I was the only person in New Orleans who did it right which Mm -hmm. was his way I was like it's easy you gave me a card (laughs) and I even put it in the right glass it had to be in a martini glass really that guy I usually serve it in a coupe but because his little picture drawing had a martini glass Mm -hmm. then absolutely I I don't really care I'm going to give it to him the way he wants so he came with clearly defined like like if if we're busy, that's not something we like to hear. Yeah, but I, I will tell you that bartenders consider making a daiquiri like what um, like craft bartenders consider mm-hmm. making a daiquiri what chefs think about making an egg. You know, can you know how they're, they're they would give that test? You mean like can, can you, you poach an egg or like cook an egg? Because they can't make an egg. I mean, yeah, I can make an egg, and so can you because we're ladies. <laughs> but um, yes. is, but can you a cook lot it? of the test. The tests a lot of chefs will give other chefs is make me a fried egg. And if you could do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. But again, fried egg, right? Do you like it hard? Do right. you like it soft? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of questions. Well, there's this ideal that we have. It should be, this should be a perfect egg that everyone's going to like no matter what. Mm-hmm. Sure, we all have our extreme likes and dislikes. And those are the people who speak up. People who say, I want scrambled eggs and I want it hard. Mm-hmm. I know they want it hard. Right. People who just say, I want scrambled eggs... I know what that means. That's a happy yeah, medium. That's right. a little soft, but a little hard. Not no, I'm too still runny. thinking about the guy with the card, and I'm wondering if he has a girlfriend or if he's married. Like, <laughs> and <laughs> and to who? Or I guess you know you're the you know who you got. Mm-hmm. The guy you you're you're with the guy with the card. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he has a card for everything, like for how to fold the towels. <laughs> With a diagram. Yeah, diagram. And a martini glass. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> so. Oh, the daiquiri. The thing about the daiquiri is, and this is why it, you know, despite the fact that we're talking about how loosey-goosey it is and how it really doesn't have an inventor, it does remain a very classic cocktail in the craft bartending scene. And one of the things I think that shows that is that it has become a category in that just like corpse survivors there's a daiquiri number one recipe there's a daiquiri number two recipe and there's a daiquiri number three recipe mm-hmm. and those were um which, which one's the Hemingway that's number three okay yeah that that one has got been given a different name Hemingway the the legend has it that Hemingway was drinking all these daiquiris in Cuba and he was afraid he was going to get the diabetes so he asked the bartender to make him a daiquiri without sugar so the bartender responded by using a little bit of grapefruit juice with the lime juice and a little bit of maraschino liqueur instead of sugar. Because that's not sweet at all. I know. You're gonna get, he didn't know that you get diabetes from the 
the alcohol as much as you do the sugar. Yeah. And plus, his nickname was Papa Doble. I mean, that means doubles every time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan of the Hemingway daiquiri. The daiquiri number two is kind of more similar to a daisy. With the... It's got orange, orange curacao, curacao and a little orange juice in it as well. Oh, oh that sounds good. Okay, so we are going to join Abigail here at Compare Le Pen to learn how to make a daiquiri. This daiquiri is really one of the simplest drinks to make. It's so beautiful. Um, I'm going to tell you how we make it here, but there's easy variations you could do at home. Um, First of all, I like to use white rum in this drink. So we're going to start with a whole two ounces of white rum. In this case, we're using Cana Brava, which is a Panamanian rum that's aged three years. Yes, white rum can be aged and actually should be aged. They just kind of charcoal filter it to take the color out. And, um, but it's still like so mellow, has those nice caramel notes from what is usually um, used bourbon casks they use to age it in. Um, so we're going to start with two ounces of white rum. Okay, now our lime juice, a fresh squeezed lime. Please only use fresh squeezed lime. Even if it comes in a little plastic lime, that's not real lime juice. Just buy a real lime and squeeze it. Uh, We're going to use one full ounce of lime juice. So this recipe is so easy that even if you don't have a jigger that measures ounces, uh, that part that we just did is super, super simple. Two parts rum to one part lime juice. So much rum you use, use half uh, of the amount of lime. So you take a coffee cup, one coffee cup of, two coffee cups of rum, one coffee cup of lime. You know what? This is a great drink that's easy to batch. Make it for a party. Essentially, this is a like a limeade with, um, with rum added to it, so... That's, it's very easy to big, make big batches for a party using just those specs. Now, here's the part where you could play a little bit because everyone likes their drink at different levels of sweetness. So if you want a little sweeter, you could add a little more. If you want it less sweet, you could add less. Now, uh, if you're using simple syrup, a one-to-one simple syrup, that's one part sugar to one part hot water, then I would use about three-quarters of an ounce, so a little less then however lime juice you use, a little less. And then it's easier to, if it's too tart, it's easier to make it sweeter. It's really hard to make it less sweet. So um, so start with a little, and then you can add more if you need it. Now, in this case, uh, for our house daiquiri here, a nice daiquiri here, that you're drinking as Hemingway would have drunk it, nice and hand-shaken, um, uh, we use a demerara syrup. Now, our demerara syrup is two parts uh, rich cane syrup, like pure cane syrup, sugar, sorry, cane sugar, to one part water. So it's a little sweeter than regular simple syrup. So instead of doing three quarters of an ounce, I'm only going to do a half an ounce. All right. And that's it. It's a three-ingredient drink, really simple. We're going to add some ice to the shaker and give it a really good hard shake. Now, with that hard shake, we're adding about a whole ounce of water to dilute. So, if you are making batches ahead of time for a party, you could just add an ounce of uh, water. So, that's the same amount of lime juice that you would add. And you could um, uh, stick it in your refrigerator. 
and uh, chill it before a party, and then you have bottles of daiquiri ready to go. If you freeze it, what would it? Will it freeze into a slush? It might. It might. I just be careful what container you put it in because I don't want your container to uh, break. You gotta leave room for expansion. I would use like an empty milk carton and fill it up just uh, three quarters of way, and then there's room for it to expand. And if it does break the plastic, it's not as bad as glass all over your freezer. You talked a little bit about the rum so i guess for those who are not uh, whose pocketbooks are not uh full how <laughs> it's like how low can you go like i i know it kind of matters because this is it's a three ingredient drink and the rum is really important but what can you look for in a lower priced rum to still ensure that you're going to have a, a nice drink well, whatever you do, don't cut quarters on the juice. The better the juice, the the more okay rum you could use. I'd say the lowest I've seen, and I've seen this in Wells, and it's not bad, is Castillo. I believe it's a Dominican rum? Dominican or Puerto Rican. But it's um, I see it in a lot of Wells at like lower-end bars. I'm like, hey, that's not a terrible rum. We also use um, Denizen, El Dorado. Uh, Bounty Rum from uh, St. Lucia is amazing if you can get your hands on a bottle of that. And, um, you know, even, you know, Bacardi's not so bad. I know a lot of Puerto Ricans are anti-Bacardi. If you're going to go Puerto Rican rum, please go Don Q. All the Puerto Ricans I know prefer Don Q. (laughs) Bacardi's mostly made in Mexico, so that's kind of a Mexican rum at this point. But you could play around with different rums, too. Speaking of Mexican rum, there's a beautiful kind of blue Mexican rum that is a um, half... uh, more of a rum agricole made from fresh pressed sugar cane and in a pot still and half um, column still um, molasses based rum. And it's like green and super fresh and delicious. And that rum agricole I'm talking about makes a beautiful daiquiri too. Martinique, Guadeloupe make beautiful rum agricole. Um, there's rum agricole here in uh, Louisiana. And um, Mexico, Paranubis rum is a rum agricole that's made in Mexico as well. And as far as, like, compared to something like, you know, Paranubis is coming out of Oaxaca, where mezcal is so popular right now, but honestly, the, the, the cost of mezcal is still way too low for the amount of effort that goes into it. So I find buying Oaxacan rum far more sustainable, and it rewards, you know, you, more of that money is going straight to the pockets of the people who make it, as opposed to mezcal, where a lot of it is going to marketing and bottling and... You know, it's so popular now. There are, you know, rich white guys doing, going down there just bottling their own and keeping all the profits and not really paying the guys who actually make it well enough. So be careful of where you buy your mezcal, but um, go ahead and feel free to buy some Mexican rum. That's good for the people. What's the name of the rum that's the half pot still, half column still? It's called Europen, and it comes in a beautiful blue bottle. By the way, I served that daiquiri up, but if you want it on the rocks, that's fine. But I like it up with just a line wheel floating inside of it. It's pretty, and um, in a coupe glass is ideal as well. Very old-fashioned. Like I said, the way Hemingway would have drank it. Thanks, Abigail, for teaching us how to make a classic daiquiri. Oh, do you want to talk about what it means to be a daiquiri in New Orleans? So I I was kind of torn about this because... I think I want to have a whole episode on the New Orleans daiquiri. Okay. Um, but we can. But we should at least say, like, there's so there's one other kind of daiquiri. When people think of daiquiris, um, they often think of a frozen cocktail, and they think of, like, a strawberry daiquiri. 
Um, this is kind of a bastardization of the daiquiri. Um, Cuba was famous for putting a daiquiri over kind of finely shaved ice, which gave it like a frozen texture. Um, but the idea of a strawberry daiquiri is kind of just as silly as like a strawberry margarita that's frozen. It is, it's not really true to the original cocktail. It's something that kind of was born out of the 70s when people started adding cheap syrups, when people got really obsessed with blenders and blender drinks. Um, but the idea of a blender drink and um, the closeness that it's related to uh, the daiquiri drink, and there's one part in the country where those two things are still very closely connected and related. And that city is? New Orleans. But of course. Yeah, we're really big fans of, when we say daiquiri, we mean frozen daiquiri. And we mean things with names like Pandy Dropper and, you know, Blue Bayou. But I think that might be um, a whole nother episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, But do know that if you come to New Orleans and you order a daiquiri, um, the bartender might check with you which one you mean which one you mean the the word daiquiri here in new orleans is interchangeable like the word houston houston is in new york you know if you say houston you're talking about the street if you say houston you're talking about the city well we pronounce it the same way but if you're talking daiquiri and you're on bourbon street you're probably talking some frozen concoction if you say daiquiri in a craft cocktail or a restaurant bar or hotel bar you probably mean exactly what we've been talking about in this episode, a classic, handshaken, beautiful daiquiri, the way Hemingway would have drunk it in Cuba. So you were raised here in New Orleans. Yeah. The first time you had a daiquiri, what kind of daiquiri was it? Oh, frozen. When Um, did you realize that a daiquiri could be this beautiful lime-sugar-rum combination? um, In my 30s, maybe. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so... All right, so I went to LSU, so there was none of that. I went to Italy, where there really weren't daiquiris in Italy in the in the 90s. I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were craft daiquiris somewhere, but not where I was going. And then I worked in Spain. Um, so in kind of my early 20s, I, I was drinking a lot of wine. Delicious red wine. Um, and then I went all whiskey, and I just drank a ton of old fashions and Manhattans, but I wasn't really like seeking out this craft world. I kind of knew what I liked. And, and I think back to that time when, you know, you shared that early on, you were very interested in all of these historic drinks, courtesy of the placemats at the diners, you know, what's a pink lady or a pink squirrel or pink lady's pink lady a drink. Yeah. Okay. It's also an apple, so I'm thinking of that. But yeah, my like my booze education <coughs> in early days was not so much, and I don't have a I don't have a specific memory of like the first time I ever had a daiquiri. But I will say one of the first times that I really paid attention, and I was like, oh, this is a delicious drink. Was it French 75? Chris Hannah made a really good daiquiri. Oh, you were so lucky. Yeah. To have a daiquiri from that master. We talked about grog as this like early variation. Yeah, kind of er- early iteration. Early iteration. Uh, of a daiquiri. I thought it was very interesting to look at the arc of the daiquiri's emergence in the United States. Well, that came from so many people being in the Caribbean and South America. And honestly, the ingredients of the daiquiri were 
meant to ward off malaria as well. But not only that, due to the policies of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who uh, created this thing called the good neighbor policy, which is how we began reaching out to the Caribbean to facilitate relationships, coupled with World War II, when it became really difficult to get wine and spirits from and Europe. scotch and whiskey. Right. So America was a whiskey-drinking whiskey nation, and it became difficult to get, get anything from Europe. And then during World War II, all American whiskey distillers were told that they had to stop making whiskey and start making airplane fuel, which is um, because apparently the process is similar. It is. So that is why there was a song that emerged, uh, sung by the Andrew sisters, uh, called Drinking Rum and Coca-Cola. Drinking rum and coca. If you ever go down Trinidad, they make you feel so very glad. Calypso sing and make a rhyme Guarantee you one real good fine time Drinking rum and Coca-Cola Go down point Kumana Both mother and daughter Working for the Yankee dollar Oh, beat it, the Yankee come to Trinidad They got the young girls all going mad Young girls say they treat them nice, make Trinidad like paradise, drinking rum and Coca-Cola, go down point Kumana, both mother and daughter, working for the Yankee dollar. I love that song. And uh, you also had an influx of folks from the Caribbean. Uh, so, you, so you had this kind of cross-pollination, right, of people who were going down there and getting exposed to this rum-lime-sugar drink and then bringing it back and saying it's really good. Or you had, And you had some um, emigration of um, folks coming from the Caribbean and bartenders, too, who knew how to make it. But I actually think that uh, one of the things that solidified its popularity, ironically, is that John F. Kennedy was apparently a tremendous fan of the daiquiri. And then look what happened in Cuba. It's like, JFK, you should have like kept on good terms because you now love their you love drink. their drink. Oh my god. <laughs> John. Why? I mean he had other challenges he had very, too. Very, very pressing problems. Yeah. But um I did kind of like that little uh liquor cultural circle of I really like your drink but I got some problems with the rest of your country yeah yeah well Bacardi saw the writing on the wall and very early shipped off most of its production to nearby um Mexico and um Puerto Rico yeah smart yeah Business, businesses. Savvy, savvy. savvy. It is very savvy. It is savvy. savvy business. Yeah. Um, so, but to this day, mm-hmm. it's um, Cuban rum is still highly sought after and considered to be very, very delicious. And someday, our country will get its paws on some. Mm-hmm. Till then, you'll have to just go there. Yeah. Which can we? You can still, bring can some we back. Still, can we still go? I don't know. 
Via Canada. What's the latest from Trump? You know, it was funny. I grew up on the border of Canada in western New York. And sometimes we'd get Canadian TV channels on our reception. Mm -hmm. And they would advertise for vacations in Cuba. Like we'd would advertise vacations at at Club Med in in Mexico or, or, or Puerto Rico, you know. And they had all these songs. And I was like wait a minute, why can't I go there? It looks beautiful. And people think that, oh, it's going to be such a different place because it's like it hasn't been touched by the rest of the world for 60 years. Yeah, and I'm like, the, the no, whole rest no. of the world oh. has been going there. <laughs> They've been going there. It's it's fine. It's just, yeah. just Americans. We need to do the little segment that we always do, which is... Abigail's tips. Yeah, I'm going to give you, you a tip be, from the bartender. Want to be a change of pace? Yes. Although you should always tip your there should always be tips for the bartender. That is, that's been that's been the tips yes, we've covered first like, of all for twice now. Well, this okay. time I'm going to give a little tip to people. This is something that's been people have been talking about, and you know I talked a little bit in this podcast about the importance of the daiquiri being served in a coupe or even a martini glass or a stemmed glass and. The reason is that it's a drink served up, but you really want to enjoy it cold. And so the stem, if you hold it by the stem, your the heat from your hands is not warming the glass. Well, try telling that to a very insecure man who doesn't want to hold a stemmed glass or who makes up some excuse. I love this excuse. It's not that I'm insecure. It's just that I'm going to spill it all over myself. Listen, I'm sure you're coordinated. What are you, are you like two years old? You need a sippy cup? <laughs> so here's my tip. Um, don't have your bartender change the glassware. Like if you want it on the rocks, fine. I mean, that's a legit thing. And then we'll, it'll be in a rocks glass. But um, don't ask what kind of glassware the drink comes in. Drinks don't have genders. Um, I'm sure you guys are all confident in your sexuality, especially the coupe glass. That one breaks my heart because the coupe, you guys, legendary legend has it, the coupe is based on the shape and weight and size of Marie Antoinette's breast. left breast, yeah. left one in particular. Okay. So if you have a problem holding a breast, I just feel sorry for your wives. <laughs> a few straight <laughs> men out there. Yeah, right, right, right. I know, I know you other non-straight men have <laughs> no problem. Non-cisgendered. Non-cisgendered men have no problem uh, with this particular issue. This- oh, I can't wait to like... Uh- Point out to the next uh, gay man that I see holding a coupe. You know, it's like, that's Marie Antoinette's left breast. Listen, don't worry about boobs. How do you does eat it when feel? we were babies? Relax, okay? <laughs> no, it's just, and I guess this one is going out to men, but there are some women too who who are uncomfortable with certain glasses or want things particularly in a certain glass, you know, that's for home. Your bartender, we have glassware. There's a reason why we use it. We're flexible with it, of course, and we're here to serve you, but don't don't give us a hard time about it. <laughs> relax relax glassware is glassware for a reason and it says nothing about your perceived sexuality um enjoy your drink and that is our tip for the day so we want to thank you for joining us once again the drink and learn podcast if you have questions we have a email address yes it is cheers at drinkandlearn.com and you have to spell the whole thing out because Gina Wolf is in the interstate and we will happily answer anything 
within reason. You know what that means. Uh, but we love questions because we love teaching and learning. And that, that's what questions generate. Especially when it's about drinking. Because yeah. we love that too. Join us in another two weeks for another episode of Drinking and Learning. With me, Elizabeth Pierce, drinks historian. And me, bartender Abigail Gallo. Thanks a lot. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.